Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's Word. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. How we doing? We good? Hey, you guys look great, close in here. I like it. Some of you, you've already decided you're not coming back to our church anymore. I made you move up beyond your comfort, and you're mad at me. Here's what I'm going to ask. The Holy Spirit, just to ease that hatred in your heart right now uh, so that you are not mad at me. But no, hey, we're, we're glad that you're here today. We're thankful that you have come today. Uh, and we're excited about all that's coming up. You heard a little bit about it, and you're going to hear more about it over the next few weeks. But we're excited about where we're at today because it really signals for us that we're kind of entering into our fall season of ministry. Now, I know the weather has actually been almost a little fall-like the last couple of days. It kind of scares me. I feel like we're about to go into the hot days of hell in August or something. I'm not really sure what's coming. But, but the fall weather almost is upon us here in the next few weeks and even the next few months. But for us, as we transition towards the school year, uh, that really for us signals that we're moving towards our fall ministry calendar, which means it kind of brings an end to the summer, which is sad for me. Uh, It's been a great summer for us as a family personally and for us as a church. For us as a family, we kind of found a new rhythm of life this summer. We have uh, been a sports family and are a sports family. Back in the spring, our four kids played on four different teams in three different sports, usually at four different parks. And so there's only two of us that drive. And so as you can imagine, it kind of stretches us a little bit and we're going a lot of different directions. And so uh, for when we were getting ready, looking towards the summer, we said to our kids, hey, listen, even if you have opportunity to play this summer, we're going to take a break. We're going to just kind of detox our schedule a little bit and kind of purge our calendar a little bit. And so we're going to enjoy some summertime and go to the pool and hang out and do some fun things, but we're not going to play any sports. And so they were, you know, they, they received it pretty well, I guess. Uh, and so we, we decided we're not going to do that. And so we did have a great summer. But in the midst of all that, we still had three weeks of youth camp and a one week kind of missions trip that various members of our family were spread out doing uh, various things throughout those, those weeks. And so for me, what that did is it created a little tension, not in my home, but in my yard. Okay. I have admitted pretty, pretty regularly here. I do not have a green thumb at all. Um, and I'm not a great yard keeper. Uh, if we're being honest. And if you're a neighbor of mine, I just need to apologize to you for my yard this summer. I know some of my neighbors attend here regularly, and and, they may not attend anymore. They may have been so embarrassed of my yard. But it was, you know, it was like, it was one of those things that, like, we would be out of town for camp, and I wouldn't quite get it mowed before, quite, like, there's the degree. I wouldn't get it mowed before we left. And so wouldn't you know it, when I got home, like, it was so high. It was almost like a scene from, like, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, except my kids were real life-size, and I was afraid they'd get lost if they went out and played in the front yard. So we made them play in the back or, or at the neighbor's. And so then I would mow it, and I got out there to mow my grass, and wouldn't you know it, my weed eater blew up. Like, I don't think it was prepared for that volume of grass is really what I don't think it was doing. And so... I'd mow it. One time I paid a kid in the neighborhood. He was mowing his grass. I was like, hey, how much will you charge me to mow my grass? He didn't even look, which I thought gave me a good deal. If he'd have looked, he probably would have charged me twice the amount. And so I paid that kid to mow my grass as I was leaving town. And so then I just decided this week, I told Corey and the kids, I was like, hey, it's, it's ridiculous. Our yard is ridiculous. So we've got to get, so we got out there and we're pulling weeds and we're cleaning it up and doing all these things. And, and so we got out there and I was ready to mow the grass. And, and honestly, I don't say this to make you feel bad for me or, or really to make you think less of me. But if you do, you need to pray and repent for that. But I got out in my yard and normally, I've got three sons, normally my boys help mow the grass, right? But it was so high, it was so thick, it wasn't even that it was high, it was thick, that my mower, like every four feet would cut off. 
Like, it, you'd get, and it would die. And I'd be like, is there something wrong with the moat? No, it's just the grass is so thick underneath that the blade could not cut through. I raised the height of the blade. We're trying it again. So I was the one. We got a little incline. I was the one pushing the mower through the grass, whatever. And so I actually had to mow the grass two times just to kind of make sure that I got it off because it was really, really, really thick and high grass. And so, again, I tell you that just to tell on myself, maybe some of you, that gives you freedom because of how bad your grass is. You need to mow it. It's an embarrassment to your neighbors. That's really the way I felt. But uh, here's really the reason that I'm saying that is because as we kick off this new series, perhaps some of you today, you find yourself in the stage of life that you're in or the place of life that you're in, in the family unit that you're in, whatever that family unit looks like. Maybe your family looks a little bit like my yard this summer. Now, others of you, perhaps, it's the exact opposite. You you tend to your yard so, so meticulously and so religiously, like you are literally out there like making sure it's even with with scissors, you're making sure, I mean, you, you are making sure your yard's right, but even in your family, like you're taking care of your family, you're taking care of your marriage and date nights are a regular thing, you're attending church together regularly and you're doing family game nights if your kids still live at home or you're doing vacations together to spend time together as your family, maybe, maybe you're, whatever that looks like for you, perhaps you are very, you're in a good place and you're taking care of everything that you're supposed to do. But again, maybe some of you today, you find yourself in a place that's kind of like my yard with your family. That maybe every time you seem to want to work on it, it just seems like a little bit too much work to even jump in and try it. Like you're not even really sure like when you get started, how much you're going to end up stopping because you're going to hit some obstacles. It's going to be a little bit too thick for you to wade into and you're a little bit worried about what it's going to, how much you're going to sweat and how, how hard the work's going to be. And so you just get to decide, now, you know what, if I could just pay somebody else to take care of it for me, I would do that. And you're just not really sure how to make this thing work. Well, today we kick off a brand new series called Five Things That Will Keep Your Family Together. We've been talking about it for the last few weeks and really pointing our attention to this day. And so I'm excited about all that this series really holds for all of us because I believe for all of us, no matter what kind of family unit you find yourself in, that this is going to be a series that will help all of us to spend some intentional, strategic time looking at how our family is constructed and how to make our family kind of flesh itself out in a little healthier way. Now, I don't want to start off with scary statistics, but here's a few statistics that really are some guiding principles for us as we try to decide why we would want to wade into this. Somewhere between 40 and 50% of couples divorce. One in three kids lives in a home without a father. The average student loan debt per household is almost $50,000. Over 7 million children take a form of antidepressant medication. And over 3,000 high school students attempt suicide every single day. The reality is your family will not accidentally stay together. Your kids will not accidentally want to come back home and visit you after they move out. Your marriage will not accidentally finish better than it started. You won't accidentally marry the right person and build a strong family. The average family is not doing great. But your family does not have to be average. Our belief here at Canton Church is that we exist because generations matter. And because generations matter, we fight for families. And that's really what these next five weeks are about, is to give you some, some fighting tools so that you can really not fight with your family. You're probably already doing some of that, so that you can fight for your family. We are the most, uh, the busiest, most distracted, most afraid, most stressed, most fractured society in history, and it's taking its toll 
on our family. And the image that I've had in my head all week as I've been preparing for this is, have you ever seen the, the movie scenes? It's in a variety of different movies. You ever seen the movie scenes where someone is stranded or someone is, has gotten separated from the group or someone's in trouble somewhere? And so the rest of us who are looking for them, we decide that the best course of action is for us to split up. Never do that. That's, that's, that's the scariest thing in the movie is when they split up and then the one guy goes walking off by himself or the one girl goes walking off by themselves and they're trying to find this. No, no, no. Our hope for you is that if even a part of your family has gotten separated, that the rest of us would stay together to go find those pieces and pull us all back together. Now, here's the other thing that I want to make sure you know right, right up front. This is not just a family, not just a series for young families with toddler age kids. This is not just a series for, you know, mom and dad, mid-30s or 40s with, with young kids in grade school or middle school or high school. This is a series for all kinds of families. If you're single and looking to get married at some point in your life, if you are divorced, if you're a blended family, if you're a mom and dad like we talked about with young kids, or you're a married couple and you don't yet have kids, if you're an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent, we believe that this series is for every single one of us because of the principles that we're going to deal with that apply to each of our lives individually. So let me just kind of explain what the next five weeks are going to look like, okay? Starting today, each week I'm going to deal with one of these five principles, one of these five things that we feel like will help your family to stay together. And so we'll talk about one of those principles each day. And then over the next 30 days, so during these five weeks, we're asking you individually and as a family to take the family challenge. So you can go on our website. Right at the top, it says family challenge. And on that website is a 30-day family challenge calendar. So you can see it up on the screen. I've actually printed one out today. And, and what we're asking you to do, and, and all of these various things may not connect right to your stage of life or to your family, but I believe that these different principles can connect to you if you'll, if you'll allow them to. So we're asking you to pray as a family one time a week. So if you're a married couple, if you're empty nesters, just at least one time a week, you find some time to pray together. We're asking you to read a devotion together three times a week. On the Family Challenge website, on our, on our, on our, on our webpage on our website, are some devotionals that you can do together or with your kids. We're asking you to attend church together each week. I'm going to talk about that in a second. We're asking you to have family dinner and conversation three times a week. Now, that may just be Chick-fil-A in the car if you have to do that. that. That can be family dinner. Just let everybody get off their phones, and let's just have family dinner together as we drive down 575. That's fine. But if you can, pull around the table, pull the TV trays into the living room, and eat family dinner together. Download the Parent Q app. This is a part of the, the uh, curriculum that you use. You can kind of follow along. Uh, we, we're asking you to plan a family game night during the 30 days and do something together. Complete a community service project. Plan a family budget. There's a budget form on our webpage there. Teach your kids a money management craft. There's some ideas for you there. Unplug night. Turn off all devices. Turn off the TV. Turn off the phone. Turn off the iPad. And then once your kids get done screaming at you, right, then just stick to it. That's what we're asking you to do. All right. Plan a date night as a couple, plan a parent and child night, and then complete the love languages test. A lot of that information is on the webpage there. But here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you, and I've never made this ask, I'm asking you to attend all five weeks of this series. Now, for some of you, being in church five weeks in a row would be a personal all-time best record. Like you would submit it to the Guinness Book of World Records thinking that that's got to be more than anybody's ever been to church in, in a row in their whole lives, right? But I am asking you to be with us in church for these five weeks. And just know, if you do have kids, we are totally bribing your kids right now. 
because we are telling them that if they check in to their environment in kids' ministry at least four of the five weeks, we're going to give them a prize at the end of week five. We got some fun things planned. We're going to try to bribe you as well, but we really want you to be here for these five weeks. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that if you come for these five weeks, that every problem that you have in your family, every problem that you have in your marriage is going to be solved. But I am saying that as we present these principles and as you engage in this 30-day family challenge, that I am believing that God is going to do something supernatural to bring healing and forgiveness and to really build and help rebuild for some of us the foundation of our homes. That's what I'm believing. That's what I've been praying for you. So husband, if, if your wife just begs you to come today and that's the only reason you're here, I'm asking you to initiate over these five weeks and say, hey, are we going to church tomorrow? Let's go together. We're going to sit close up front. They've already roped off the back. We're going to move up front, right? You know, sports parents, of which I'm one, it may mean that we got to be a little bit late to practice or miss a game, but I'm asking you to commit to that. I'm asking you to spend some time together in church and allow God to do a work in our lives. Now, as I've been thinking about this and thinking about the series and where we would even start, here, here's the guiding principle for this entire series. I know some of us were trying to figure out, like, how do we rebuild the things that are broken in our family? How do we make sure that we're on the right track? Here's what I want you to know. The, the best way to keep your family together for the next 50 years is to do the things that will keep your family together for the next 50,000 years, for eternity. What we're talking about here is these principles are not just so that we can weather the storm that we may find ourselves in right now. We're really talking about these principles that will help deepen, strengthen our relationship with God and make sure that our families are built on the right foundation so that we can spend eternity together. And if we're, if we're focused on spending the next 50,000 years, and that's an arbitrary number, please don't send me an email and say, eternity is more than 50,000. I know, okay, I got you, I got you, right? Send that email to Pastor Trevor, right? But we're saying, like, if we want to focus on the next 50,000 years, I really believe that we'll be focused on the right things to make sure we're together for the next 50 years. So here's where we want to start. Matthew chapter 7. This is, we're going to read some Old Testament scripture in a minute. But Matthew chapter 7 gives us a guiding thought that I think helped all of us as we're thinking about spending the next 50,000 years together so that we can ensure that we're really spending the next 50 years together. This is what it says beginning in verse 24. Anyone who listens to my teaching... And follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone, anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. So Jesus uses this analogy of building a home, and that's really what we're talking about here. We're talking about building our home in such a way that when life gets a little bit shaky, and it will, that we, we've built our family, we've built our home in such a way that it stays together when everything else is falling apart because we built it on the right foundation. So how do we do that? We do it by what we just sang a few minutes ago. We build our lives on Jesus. And just so you know, I'm not just talking about some type of emotional or relational stability here. I'm not just talking about those things. I'm not just talking about spiritual things either. I believe that this is an all-encompassing, holistic approach to family. I believe that's the way that God created us. And there are some statistics and research that back this up. Now, I'm about to give you some stats. And when I do, if you hear a stat that does not connect to you or you say, hey, that's not true of my life, it doesn't mean that you're broken. It doesn't mean that there's something specifically wrong with you. But the statistics tell us that these are the averages of people like us or like you potentially. 
The divorce rates, we've talked about it a little bit. The divorce rates, really there's a national average of about 33%, which is a little bit lower than some of us have heard and even some of the things that have been quoted. But when you pull all of the remarriages and then the divorces of second and third and fourth marriages, then that goes a little bit higher. 17% is the divorce rate of those who are practicing Christians. 40% is the divorce rate of those who have no faith at all. It, it, being in church or being a part of some type of religious experience on a regular basis actually helps to su significantly lower the risk of depression. Researchers at the University of Saskatchewan found that the incidence of clinical depression was 22% lower among those who attended religious services at least once a month compared to those who never attended. We also see that you can get better grades and have higher education prospects if you're involved in church. Church attendance is correlated with higher math and reading scores, greater educational aspirations. Church attenders are more likely to complete their homework and to complete degree programs. So let me just say to the students in the room, you have one of two options. You either don't need to let your teachers know that you're a Christian or you need to do your homework, right? Because if they know you're a Christian and you don't do your homework, what does that say about the testimony of your life? Right? That I'm going to honor my commitments. But really what we see is being involved in church actually helps you to get better grades. And we also see that it significantly lowers the risk of death and it increases life expectancy. Now don't get me wrong. The death rate among Christians right now is still 100%. Okay? But apparently some people live longer. And so those who go to church regularly enjoy better health and they live 25% longer than those who do not attend church at all. We also see that it helps our sex lives. A recent University of Chicago study found higher levels of sexual satisfaction among women who attend religious services regularly. So when people prioritize a relationship with God and we put it into practice, we actually see benefits throughout the various parts of our lives. So for the time that we have left today, I want to pivot our time to an Old Testament story. This is the story of a man named Joshua. Now, you may not be as familiar with Joshua as you are to his predecessor, Moses. Moses was the guy who was kind of raised in Pharaoh's house because his mother had gotten rid of him, but really to help save him because Pharaoh was trying to kill all the boys his age. And so then Moses raises up and he eventually comes to set God's people free and he leads them out of their captivity and slavery and he leads them out into the desert and they wander in the desert because of their disobedience and Moses and his generation die off and they cannot go and live in the promised land. And so then Joshua, after the death of Moses, Joshua is raised up by God, and he is given leadership over the entire nation of Israel. And Joshua is the one who leads them into the promised land. This is an incredible truth and an incredible story of the history and the children of Israel at this time in their history, because they had a lot of ups and downs. But in this season, they walk into the promised land, and they are living their dream life. They're, they're living in the promises of God. I mean, this is the stage in their life when they're driving the best cars, when their kids are making the best grades. They've got everything that they need. They no longer have a lot of wants in their life. And here's the problem. We usually only feel a need for God when we have a need. We, we usually only say, well, I need God to do something when we actually need God to do something. And so the problem becomes when we don't have a need, sometimes we don't feel like we need God. And so Joshua stands up before the people one day, and he reminds them of that truth. And he reminds them of who they were, and he reminds them where they came from, and he reminds them what God has called them to. And this is what we find in Joshua chapter 24. This is the end of his speech found in verse 14. He says this, So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. 
Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord only. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live now? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Now, I want to focus on that last statement, that last phrase that he said. And perhaps you've seen it before. It's pretty famous, or you've heard it before. Maybe you've heard it in a different translation that says, perhaps, uh, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's just another translation of the scripture in English language for us. But I really wanted us to focus on it as, for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. It's a pretty simple three-part statement, and I believe that it helps all of us to understand what we are called to do. I want to kind of split this phrase up. And so the first part that I want to look at is where he says, as for me. As for me. This is so important because you can't expect your family to be built on God if your life is not built on God. You cannot expect your family to be built on God if your life is not built on God. A family is just a collection of individuals. So Joshua starts by saying, listen, I'm going to lead the way. I am going to lead the way. And let me just say for a second to you, if you're a dad in the room or you hope to be a dad in the room at some point in your life, dads, this is huge for you. This is a big deal for you because statistics would tell us that if a child or mom go to church, that 17% of the time the family will follow. But if the dad says we're going to church, 93% of the time the family will follow. That's a humongous statistical disparity that says that if you are a father or you have aspirations to be a father at any point in your life, that you need to lead the way to God. And so I would say it to this, this way, dads, your kids won't accidentally attend church, but they will follow you there. They will not accidentally fall into a relationship with Jesus, but I promise you that if you model this for them, it becomes easier for them to see what it looks like to live that out. And you expose them to what it looks like to have a relationship with God. And I recognize some of you in the room, you're, you're single moms. And you say, man, when I see that, I'm actually more discouraged than encouraged. And I recognize that some of you, you're playing the role of mom and dad. And here's what I believe about you. I believe that God gives a special grace for the season of life that you find yourself in. And I believe it's the, it's the testimony of my wife who never met her biological father. That God himself, our loving heavenly father, can actually step into that place where a, a father doesn't exist here on earth in their life in relationship. With, and he can step in and fill in the gap. And you just have to do what you are capable of doing. You do the best that you can and you ask God to do all that he can. And I believe that he will. But what Joshua was talking about right here is he says, listen, I've got to lead the way. It's so easy as a parent or a guardian to feel pressure, to feel like, man, I, I, there's so many things I want my kids to do. I, I want them to get good grades. I want them to get into college. I want them to marry the right person. I want, and so sometimes what we do is as the parents or as the leaders of the home, we might say if we've been out of church for a little while, man, we got to get back in church for our kids. And that's true. It is true. Your kids need you to be in church. But the reality actually is that you need to get back in church for you. The biggest factor in the spiritual life of your child is not their church. It's the spiritual life of their parents. When, when you bring your children to us, we're so thankful for that. We have an incredible team of volunteers 
that loves on your kids and exposes them to the truths of who God is and teaches them to worship and all that in the one hour a week we have with them. But you have that other 167 with them. And I realize they're in school and I realize they might be in daycare, they might be in preschool or they may have jobs or they may not live in your home anymore. And I recognize that in different stages of life. But if you try to pass the buck to say, hey, I want someone else to be the spiritual you know, uh, example in their lives. I want someone else to be the primary discipler. You're really missing a God-ordained role that you have. And you'd say, well, okay, that's, that's fine. But my kids don't live in my home anymore. And I can't speak to that as the parent. I can only speak to that as the child. I mean, I'm grown, but I've still got a dad that's living. My mom passed away. And I talked to my dad on the phone twice this week. He initiated both of those phone calls. Sometimes in the busyness of the schedule of our house, I don't call him as regularly as I should. And he has a tendency to listen to this podcast. And so, Dad, I'm sorry for that, right? But he initiated both of those phone calls. One of them was to check on me, and one of them was to encourage me. And I can't tell you what that does for me, even as a child who is an adult. You say, well, I try to call my kids. They don't answer. Leave them a voicemail. Send them a text. Send them a letter. You really want to get their attention? When you send them the letter, include cash. Right? Download the cash app. Find out their username. Send them cash for no apparent reason on a Thursday. Right? You'll get their attention. You say, well, isn't that bribing? Absolutely. It works. Money speaks. And it might just be the inroad that you need to be able to actually speak to them. Encourage them. Breathe life into them. If they live anywhere within driving distance, or you can fly to them, offer to come and keep the kids for 48 hours so they can get away. Like, find a way to invest in that relationship. And as you do, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you will still have influence over their spiritual lives as well. So the first thing that Joshua says is he says, I will lead by example. And then the second thing that he says is, as for me and my family, as for me and my family, that's the second part of what he says. This is about leading by authority. Now, I'm not just going to lead by example. I'm also going to be the leader of my home. This is the declaration that Joshua is saying. My family will serve the Lord. Now, obviously, we all know that you can't make someone serve the Lord. Some of you as parents, you've tried, right? You can't make your kids serve the Lord. Up to a certain age, maybe you can make them come to church. But there comes a day when you can't make them go to church. And you can't kidnap them and put them in the trunk of your car and then just get to the church and open the trunk and be like, hey, we're here. And if you want lunch, you will go in and pay attention or I will not feed you. No, you can't do that, right? No. But we say, hey... To the best of my ability as the leader of this home and for us as a married couple to say together as we lead our home together, our home, our family, we're going to be a God-first home. We're going to be a a Jesus home. Now, I I don't want to sound like a grumpy old man yelling at the neighbors, okay? But just for a minute, let me just sound like that, okay? And just forgive me. Nobody else has permission to tell you what to do with your kids. Nobody. It doesn't matter how much you paid to be on the team. It doesn't matter how often they're at the school. It doesn't, nobody gets permission. You have to decide for your family how you're going to conduct your lives in your home. You get to set the pace. I told you earlier that we decided as a family we weren't going to play sports this summer. 
And that was just a personal decision. I don't say that to kind of put us up on a pedestal or to not. You may not care about that. I'm saying for us, we just decided it was best for us in this season. There may be other decisions that you have to make, but you have to determine what are the values of our home? What is the value system of our home? And whether or not we can articulate it, we've got to make sure we're abiding by it. There are some things that my kids know we are going to do and some things my kids know we are not going to do because they don't line up with the values of our family. I joke about this all the time, but if you were to ask any of my four children right now, what's your last name? They would tell you because they're really smart, okay? They would say Isaacs. And then if you asked the follow-up question, you'd say, what does that mean? You know what they would say? They would say, we're leaders. My grandparents started that. My dad started that with us. And I, that's not to imply that we try to push them to anything that they're not skilled for. But what we want them to understand is that if they get in a moment where leadership is missing, go ahead and step up and fill that void. Earlier this week, one of my oldest two sons texted me and said, hey, I'm in a setting here and, and they're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. They were supposed to be following some specific instructions where he was at. And he said, hey, we're not, the, the group's not doing what we're supposed to be doing. I said, well, that's okay. I mean, I don't know. I'm not there, but I'm sure that the leaders will take care of it. It'll be fine. He said, there are no leaders. You know what I texted back? What's your last name? If you're sitting there, there's a leader. So just do what you're supposed to do. And so you know what he did? He just said, hey, everybody. Here, listen, we're supposed to be doing something right now, and here's what we're going to do. Not everybody in the group followed him. And I told him, that's okay. You are not accountable for whether or not people follow, you are only accountable if you are doing the right thing. And so he did. He said, hey, we're going to do it. And just a few people decided they were going to follow his example, and they did what they were supposed to be doing. And so in our home, there's a few things that we know we're going to do, and we know we're not going to do. Now, I can't say this definitively. I can't say this is 100% true for everybody, but sometimes where parents get in trouble is when they try to lead by authority without leading by example. And what I mean is when we say to our children, this is what we do, but it's not actually what I do. We, we as a family, we, this, is, this is the values of our family, but it's not actually the way that I live my life. You want to watch your kids not follow the example of the authority that you're trying to establish? Live an example that's contrary to what you're asking them to do. It's as simple as this. If we say to our kids, there are certain things that we don't watch, and yet they walk in to find us watching them, then they recognize that what we say is not as important as what we do, and they'll find ways to be able to do those things on their own when they're away from us. But if we say, hey, it's not just about us leading by authority, we want to lead by example. And so for some of us in the room as parents, perhaps the first thing that we need to do is say to our kids, hey, we've been leading by authority but not leading by example. And during these 30 days, we want to change that. And we want to make sure that the words that we're saying match the way that we're living. And I understand that in a perfect world, this sounds like it works. But in the reality of, the reality of teenagers and kids who are bigger than you, it seems impossible. And I know, again, you can't kidnap your kids and bring them here. And you can't force them to come back and live in your house until they get it right. But I am saying that as you pray and ask God to help you to lead with the authority that you still have in their life and to lead by example that they can see, that I believe that God can bring a healing work into that relationship and into their heart. 
So Joshua challenges the people. As I'm challenging you today, and he says, make a decision. Is your home going to serve God or someone else? Is your, is your home going to be a place where God is first or God's just a part of the equation? It's just one of the things that we do. And the people responded back to Joshua, and they said, yes, we will serve the Lord. They responded much louder than you guys are today. It's okay. Let's get down to verse 23. This is what it says in Joshua chapter 24, verse 23. All right then, Joshua said. Destroy the idols among you and turn your hearts to the Lord. Destroy. Okay, if, if what you're saying is true, if we're in it, if you say we're a God-first home, if you say we're going to serve the Lord, he says, okay, great. Then destroy the idols among you and turn your hearts to the Lord. Joshua says a decision to build your home on Christ is also a decision to remove everything else that your home is built on that is not Christ. Turning to God means turning down some other things. Turning to God means turning down some other things. And when we read it like this, it's so black and white. But I understand that as we live our lives, it, it sometimes seems more gray than that. It doesn't seem as black and white in our lives when we live our lives and conduct our lives. But if I stood up here today and I said, okay, everyone who wants to build your family on God, stand up and move to this side of the room. Everyone who doesn't, stand up and move to this side of the room. I would be willing to bet you that everybody in the room would move over here. We want to build our lives on God. We want to be a God-first family. The problem is not our intention. The problem is our actions. Are we building our lives on the things of God? And I recognize that as I'm even talking today, you go, okay, well, I'm waiting on you to tell me, like, how does that happen? How do we do that? Like, does that mean we just go to church all the time? Maybe. Maybe. But so often, when we give you inspiration, sometimes it just feels like obligation if it's just my words. And so what this 30 days is all about, what these five weeks are all about, is asking God that as we change our actions, perhaps, or as we continue in some actions that we believe to be right, that he would reinforce those things in our hearts and in our lives and in our homes so that we would actually begin to see some changes in behavior. So we would actually begin to see some changes in our home and in our marriages. We come to church together for these five weeks in a row and we sit together as a family. At the end of these five weeks, at the very last Sunday of this series, on August the 25th, before we all load up and go to the Rome Braves game, at the end of our service, we are going to pray over every family that is present in all three services. Our staff and our elder couples are going to help us. We're going to pray a prayer of blessing and anoint every single family. But you don't just say, well, okay, well, then I'll be back week five for that. Over the course of these five weeks, what we want you to do is we want you to spend some time together as a family. Shock the fire out of your kids. Say, so, hey, Thursday night, we're turning off the devices. Next Friday, it's family game night. Hey, Tuesday night of next week, I know we're always home together, but just know, like, there's a babysitter coming. Mom and dad are going out on a date. We haven't been out on a date since, like, 2004. But we're going on a date. And we're not just going to go to Target and walk around and get groceries. Sometimes that feels like date night. Like, we're going to sit at a restaurant, even if it's Taco Bell, and we're going to look at each other in the eyes and for at least the first 30 minutes of the conversation, we're not even going to talk about the kids. 
We're going to look at each other and say, hey, before, before all of this, there was this. And I'm sorry for any part of it that was my fault, where you didn't feel honored, where you didn't feel like you were a priority in my life, and I want to make sure that you know that you are. That's what these 30 days are about. We're going to serve together and do some fun things together. That's all important. But we're going to say, God, would you help me, help us together as a family, help us to be a God-first home. And it starts with me. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Nobody looking around, if you would say, you know, for me, I recognize if it starts with as for me, I'm not there. And so I need God to do something in my heart, in my life today, be the Lord and Savior of my life beginning today. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I've done wrong. I guess you're not the only one. But if you need God to forgive your sins and to lead your life, from this moment forward. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? We want to pray for you. Thank you so much. You can put it right back down. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Now, if you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, as much as it depends on me, leading by example, and as much as it depends on me to lead by authority, no matter the stage of life I find myself in, I am committed over the next 30 days to make God the priority of my family. Would you lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. We want to pray for you. God, we thank you for the hands that were lifted today. I thank you for those who are trusting you now for salvation, to forgive their sins and to lead their lives as their Lord from this moment forward. That's not a small thing. That's a huge thing. So God, thank you for that. Thank you for the decision that they've made. And God, now I ask you to respond to all of those who lifted their hands to say we want it to be a God-first home, a God-first family. And I'm praying now, God, for the, the families that are represented in this room, that God, you would do a work in them that, God, you would touch them, that you would enrich marriages, God, that you would give strength to single parents, that, God, you would help brokenness in relationships between parents and children of any age. And, God, I pray that over these 30 days that we would take the steps, as much as it depends on us, leading by example, as much as it depends on us as parents to lead by authority, that, God, you would help us to truly serve the Lord. God, let us come together. Let us be together. But, God, do a work inside of us that's tangible, that we can feel it. And God, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.com.